Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's up, sports fans? Zach Mikosh from Denver Stiffs here. Listen, you probably have a spot in town where you like to go and watch sports, and you probably have another spot in town where you go to get good food. Well, I'm here to tell you that for me, those two spots are one and the same. Jake's Sports and Spirits, located at 38th and Walnut Street, is your one-stop shop for great sports viewing and even better food. With their 20 TVs featuring every sports package available, you're never going to miss out on your favorite team. On top of that, Jake's has a wide variety of delicious food. So whether you're looking for the best wings in Denver, a delicious sandwich or burger, or maybe even a lighter thing like a salad, Jake's has you covered. Make sure you come by on the weekends, too, for their great breakfast menu, which is served from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's Jake's Sports and Spirits, 3800 Walnut Street. Come on down and make sure to tell them the Stiff sent you. He's got Boudier. Boudier. Recording live from Jake's Sports and Spirits in the historic Rhino District of Denver, Colorado, it's the Pickaxe Podcast, presented by Denver Stiffs. What's up, everybody? It's Zach Mikosh with Denver Stiffs. We are back recording live this time at down at Jake Sports and Spirits on 38th and Walnut. Uh, I am here today with Mr. Dan Lewis. Dan, what's going on, buddy? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then also uh, Ashley Douglas, who is about to make her first ever trip to the Pepsi Center as a credentialed member of the media. Ashley, excited? I'm excited. Nervous, but I'm excited. Be all right. It's, it's good time. Good times. Lots of lots of good guys down there. Don't let them. Don't let them push you around. Don't let Marlo or anybody push you around like that. <laughs> he seems like that kind of guy. Right? Easy. Right. right. No, Marlo's got. A, he's a good guy. Yeah. He'll definitely. Uh, he'll definitely bring you right in under his wing. All right. So we are. Um, we're gonna get rolling right into the pickaxe today, and we're gonna start. We'll switch it up this week. Usually we do the. We go through the games. The previous games from the previous week. Um, at the end of the podcast, but I think we're gonna switch it up. We'll do that first. So. The very first thing I just want to, it was almost a week ago, so we'll touch on it quick, but the uh, the game against Houston, specifically the second game, which was the uh, the road one down in Houston, um, the Nuggets played well, almost, they almost get the victory, and they, it looks like they have it in the bag, right? And there's like maybe, um, maybe what, 20 seconds left, and Harden goes coast to coast, drops in the layup. It was Dan, like seven seconds. Seven seconds, right? So Dan, what happened, man? What just complete defensive breakdown? <clears throat> yeah, I think the problem was just that the Nuggets had a lot of young players on the court that may not have been in that situation before. Like they, I think they were surprised that Harden didn't slow down you know, and right, try to right. like see what the defense was going to set up. But Harden's an incredible player, and he got that rebound off Jameer's air ball, which was I mean, yeah. it wasn't a bad shot. It just... How it ended up was unfortunate, landing right in Harden's hands. And he just raced on the court for a layup, and there was still 
two and a half seconds left on the clock afterwards, but Harden saw that there was an opportunity for him to get to the lane, get to the basket, and he went and laid it in. Yeah, and, and talk about a heartbreaker, and I think you're right, Dan. I, I looked at it as like, okay, it's kind of the youth thing, right? Like, I mean, they were, um, nobody was really expecting that to happen. They almost looked lost, and, uh, and just goes, they gets right to the net. Um, Ashley, what did you think, like, the last, so like Dan said, there's about two seconds left. Coach draws up a alley-oop play uh, for Jokic to throw the ball from the from out of the out of bounds to to Plumlee on like an alley oop with two seconds. What did you think of that that play that call? I mean, I don't know. I feel like I don't know that Plumlee's had enough time with the team to be able to be counted on last minute like that. Right. I, I think that that was risky. Um, but to be fair, like Daniel said, there's a lot of young guys on the team, and I don't think that they. They know how to get started and get a big, big uh, lead and then get a win. But when it's coming down to the wire, when it's super close, the young guys don't know how to go in and just close out a game. And so perhaps that's why Malone had, you know, Jokic and Plumlee right. drawn right. up for that. <clears throat> I was, I was really disappointed that they didn't put Kenneth Freed in for that. Yeah, that's a good point. If, if you're going to be putting in a big man to catch a lob. And you have Kenneth Freed and Mason Plumley. Like, how, like the last couple of years, it's like didn't you didn't watch any of the games? Like, right, that's right. that's one of the Kenneth Freed's best skills is being able to to stretch yes. the defense vertically. Absolutely. And like, he's faster than Plumley is. He's an incredible Absolutely. athlete. And he could have like Plumley got shoved out of the way because like the pass was a little late and his timing was off. But like, I don't think that is as big of. A, a difference for Kenneth Freed because he's able to jump higher and run faster than Mason Bumley is. You know what, what might have been another interesting thing for them to do is if they had put both of them in because when, immediately when they put Plumley um, into the game, when I saw him put him in, I was like, well, obviously they're going to run something at the rim for Plumley because why else would he be going in? Um, there's not two seconds left. It's not like there's a good chance for a rebound, right? I mean, maybe you could think of putback or something like that. But my immediate thought was, okay, they're going to probably run something at the rim to Plumlee. If they put Farid in as well, uh, then you would at least have two options to do that. And so maybe if one thing doesn't work out, because I don't think Jokic really wanted to make that pass. I think he saw that it was fairly well covered by Harden there. Um, and that's why he hesitated and it was a little late. Uh, I don't know. Like, I'm not a big fan of Jokic throwing the ball in. I get it. He's the best passer on the team. Um, that's not really where he gets a lot of his assists is in out of throwing the ball from the out-of-bounds line. Um, and also, he's the best player on the team. You're down by one point. Like, why not? I would have just I would have tried to get him in the post. I mean, two seconds is enough for him to catch, turn in the post, and take a shot. That's oh, easy. Right? That, you only need .4 seconds for Derek Fisher. Yeah, right, exactly. Exactly. So, to me, that would have been... Um, I thought that would have been a better way to go. It was interesting, interesting choice by the coach in the end. It doesn't work out. Let me ask you this. So, Ashley, I'll ask you first. The fact, though, that the Nuggets were so close to beating Houston, a uh, high, high-ranking playoff team in Houston, um, and then right after they were so close to beating them in Denver the night or a couple nights before, was there some sort of like was it a moral victory at least for them? I think probably for the rookies, yeah. I think because they played well, they know they've seen what they can do against the Golden State Warriors, against the Cavaliers, against the Rockets. They can hang in there. I think probably they could feel good about that game, knowing that they're not just going to go get totally thumped every time they go out against a good team. But I think again, closing that game is going to be what they need to focus on in the offseason. 
Yeah. I yeah. think I think it's a moral victory if the next time they're in that kind of a situation, they don't do this, make the same mistakes. They don't let James Harden go coast to coast. Well, uncontested. Like, you know, moral victories. What that's supposed to do is trying to help you teach you. You know, it's a mistake that is a learning opportunity. Right. And so you have to turn it into a victory later on. Right. So you know, next time, March twenty eighth. If the Nuggets have a one-point lead with 15 seconds left over the Trailblazers, are they going to switch Kenneth Freed on to Damian Lillard again? Or are they going to run a lob for Mason Plumlee? Or are they going to try to you know, run a different kind of play to give a different player an option, a shot attempt? Like, you know, it's in the future. You know, like These close losses, they're supposed to be... The Nuggets are playing their young guys and gives them an opportunity to see, okay, this is what we shouldn't do. Right now, we need to go to practice, practice what we should do, and then go out and execute that. Execute it right, which is what it all comes down to, and that's uh, well for the Nuggets. It's been somewhat of a, uh, a challenge. I kind of agree with um, I agree with both of you. I think in a way, yeah, it is. It is somewhat of a moral victory. If anything, I think it proves, hey, this was like they've had a good streak of games, right, where they had played really well, but they really hadn't played good teams. Um, and then, then the play Houston back to back as tough as they did being Houston being as good a team as they did even though they didn't get the win it kind of showed I think to them hey we can we can actually compete it's not just because we were playing a bunch of uh, sub 500 teams before we actually can't compete with these good teams and I tell you what they go out and they back it up in the very next game right they they take on the Cleveland Cavaliers arguably the best team in the league I think uh, it wouldn't be who I would say is the best but certainly top three um and they beat him, and not only that. I mean, it's not like uh, Cleveland was resting anybody. Cleveland was had like I think two games of rest. Kevin Love is in, Kyrie Irving is in, LeBron James is in. I mean, this was the, the Cavs at full strength. Uh, Dan, I'll start with you, man. How impressed were you by that victory over the Cavs? I think any time that you can beat the best player in the NBA, that's really impressive. Yeah, right. <laughs> LeBron James is by far and away the best player in the NBA, and. He was a minus 30 in that game. Like, the Nuggets really took it to him. And I think maybe they had some confidence because they played well against other teams this season. You know, some of the top-level teams in the league. But it was it was really impressive. And I think the thing that impressed me the most about the game is uh, normally this, the Nuggets start the second half really poorly. Yep. And they let the, they'll have a lead and let the other team either, you know, catch back up or retake the lead in yep. that first, like, six minutes of the third quarter. And when the Cavaliers made their second half run, the Nuggets they regathered themselves. We're like, we're not letting ourselves do this again. And they were able to keep that lead in the third quarter. And I, that was that was really impressive to me because that shows that they they had the mental capability to, to execute in that kind of situation. Right. And um, one of the other things that I thought was so huge about that third quarter run uh, was the play of Kenneth Fareed. You know, he, yeah. That was his first game back, I think, after he's been out for almost like three weeks with the the back injury and that he had that that explosion um, and that energy off the bench that really helped the Nuggets. Another guy who came back in that game um, was Wilson Chandler. Uh, either he came back that game, he might have been back one game or so earlier against Houston. Um, but he, I think, Dan, so much of how you were talking about how you beat LeBron, LeBron was a minus 30, which was the worst, by far the worst, like double. Uh, I think the next worst was like minus 16 for Kyrie. Um, and I thought Wilson Chandler had a big, big part of that. I mean, LeBron was scores eighteen points. Uh, Ashley, what did you think about Wilson in, in his play? I thought it, he and Kenneth Freed were key to that game because they were the ones moving on offense. 
And I think what we saw a little bit with the Houston games was that not a lot of people were moving on offense. You know, you had Gallinari out, Wilson Chandler out. Um, I think he was out for both of them. He, he, could, he could have been, yeah. But um, really, those are the guys that move on offense. And when Kenneth Fareed came into the game making cuts and, and getting open for Jokic, that's really what the Nuggets need is, is two guys at least – you know, running around and getting open for each other. Right, right. And then, you know, of course, the other thing they always need is uh, Nikola Jokic just wrecking, uh, wrecking everyone, including, in the case of this game, um, LeBron James, right? He, uh, there was that moment he gets LeBron one-on-one in the post. You could feel the crowd, like, getting into it, right, and they, everybody getting excited. And then, of course, he uh, he backs him down and, and does a hook shot right over him and scores. Dan, is that uh, coach kind of called it the defining moment or one of the defining moments for for Nikola? Would you agree? I think so. I mean, one of the things that Jokic has done a lot this season is he's he's more of like a finesse scorer in the post. Right. You know, he's going to use his footwork. He's got incredible touch, but he'll like fade away from contact sometimes. He doesn't really embrace that physical nature of playing down low in the post. Yeah. But like, and you know, LeBron, he's a lot taller than LeBron James, like three or four inches on him. But LeBron is like probably one of the strongest players in the league. And if you rewatch that clip, like LeBron was really banging with the down there. Yeah. Like that, that was a really physical play. And Jokic like was the one initiating some of that physicality. Like I'm not gonna give up my position. I'm gonna, you know, bang in, get that right hook off. And uh, it was just it was a really impressive play. Right, yeah, absolutely. Ashley you were in uh, you were at the uh, at the game, correct? That uh, what did you think of the, of the crowd's reaction to that? And, and just kind of like the crowd overall that night. I was so impressed with the crowd because it was truly from what I could tell about 50-50, 50% Nuggets fans and Cleveland fans, which I thought was telling because Cleveland's obviously the most popular team in the league, maybe second to Golden State. But I think the cool thing was I could tell the crowd has been watching the Nuggets play because I think everybody at the same time realized how amazing this moment was. Like, we've been talking about Jokic. He's at this kind of this rookie status. He's on the verge of becoming, like, recognized in the league, and he posts up against LeBron and scores. And I just, everybody knew. Everybody knew what that meant at the same time. It was awesome. Yeah, no, I agreed. And then I, I think you, you hit it that nail on the head. The crowd was so good, and one of the reasons it makes it – such I thought such a defining moment for him was because of the crowd. I mean, they they recognized immediately, hey, this is our star player, our future, going up against the greatest player on earth. And, uh, you know, it, people, and so that's, I think, what drove a lot of people were kind of comparing it to uh, when Iverson went one-on-one with Jordan and crossed him up. But I don't think it was quite that epic because, you know, Iverson <laughs> was, uh, a, was a Hall of Famer in his own right, right? And uh, also B, that... I mean, Michael Jordan is, is the greatest, uh, in my opinion, of all time. Yeah. To see the the, uh, the crossover is kind of like Iverson's signature move, right? So it was all those elements together. Jokic kind of just doing a post-up on LeBron. Probably not quite uh, quite. Maybe as if he'd like flipped an alley-oop over exactly, his shoulder yes. or something. Exactly, yes. Uh, if it had been the Jokic signature move, that would have been... Or, or if he crossed over LeBron. That, maybe. <laughs> okay, no, that's that it. Been, yeah, that would have yeah. been, yeah. like, <laughs> been instant top 10 uh, sports center. Um, overall, though, just just a great game for Jokic. And then he backs it up uh, back after that game against the Indiana Pacers. Comes up with a... Um, monster game like 30 points with 17, 17 rebounds yeah. Yeah, exactly. five or six assists five or six assists and Dan the best part about those assists um, only one of them counted and then one was Gallo got fouled on it but twice he does 
that signature move, right? He tosses the, I mean, the pass to Wilson Chandler, he just like, in his hands for one second, just throws it on his head, and there it is. Is this like, I mean, is this his signature move, that that, uh, over-the-head, no-look pass? I wouldn't mind that being his signature move. It's incredible when he does it. You just, like, I I don't know. I don't even know how he sees the players there. He just has this sense of, he sees guys cut, and he knows, okay, they're going to be in this area. Like, he he can't see the player there. Like, he just has this great court vision of knowing where guys are going to be, where they should be. And, you know, you have to have a lot of chemistry with your teammates to be able to throw passes like that. But I think a lot of the players know, hey, like, Nicole's going to give me the ball if I'm in the right spot. And, like, you know, there was there's some been some passes where he's done that with Will Barton and things. And, like, they just make eye contact. And, like, I'm going to the basket. And, like, you're going to hit me kind of there. Right. Yeah, and it's it's really awesome when that happens. Yeah. Ashley, what did you think of those, those passes? They were exciting. I did the recap. And so I was, like, screaming at my house. They were just so <laughs> incredible. Uh, but I think... What it's showing is that the Nuggets are getting very, very comfortable with playing with each other. They're getting to know each other. They're trusting each other. And I, I really I really like it when teams keep players together for longer. I, I really hate it when they trade away players and dilute the team chemistry. I think obviously the use of Nurkic move was needed and necessary. But I'm glad that they kept Wilson Chandler and and all these guys around because they know what they need to do. Because Jokic knew that he could trust Wilson Chandler at that moment. Yep. to be at the right place at the right time. And so it wasn't just Jokic, it was Wilson Chandler working with him on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's part of what Jokic does in that pass that he makes is is there's another half of it that is the guys on the other end have to actually expect that they're going to get it. I remember right when they got Plumley, Jokic just – it wasn't even a pass like that. It was just kind of a, a dump – he dumped it to him in the low post when he probably had a pretty decent jumper to take anyways. And play, it caught Plumley off guard. He wasn't even expecting to get that pass – so to see that chemistry now to where these guys know not only like, hey, I'm going to cut behind Jokic and, and get open, but like Dan was saying, they know Jokic is going to, he's going to toss that ball over his head and it's going to be right where I need it to be to score the bucket. I think it, it just goes to show, I mean, this team is, they're kind of firing on all cylinders and they, they figured out, okay, we're going to run that offense. I'm going to go a little uh, 104-3, but like, okay. I, you know, I grew up watching Peyton Manning play oh, quarterback. There you go. All right, and yes. like Peyton Manning just like had this sense of like knowing where to throw the ball so that the the ball would land up in his receiver's hands. Right. Like, Peyton Manning never had the strongest arm. Right. You know, he never had he was always just very accurate and he knew exactly where to put the ball. And I feel like Jokic he just makes the right read. And yep. it may not be a read that any other player could make because of his height and mm-hmm. his vision, but he knows if I throw it exactly here, it's going to get to my guy and he's going he's gonna to have a shot attempt exactly. and exactly. a good opportunity to score. And like some of his passes, like he throws these like change-up looking things, just these floaters. Right. Like, yep. You know, it's like, how, how does the defense not react to that? And it's like they're just... He's throwing yeah, it at such it, yeah. a perfect angle. Exactly, he's dropping it in there. You like, know what? And that's, they're uh, able to. His teammates. His teammate is the only person that's able to catch that ball. Exactly. He's he's passing him open, right? Yeah. Um, and he's been doing that. That was the very first thing I ever noticed about him in summer league in his rookie season was that he would do that. He would pass these guys open as they're cutting to the basket, and just drop it in there so perfectly, and it's. I can't think of anybody else in the in the league who can do it at the at the level he can. And he he doesn't have very many games with a lot of turnovers either. No, is, yeah. With with the degree of difficulty of the passes he's making, 
Like he's comfortable making those without turning the ball over. Exactly. And then if it's not there, he just makes the right decision. Exactly. And sometimes I feel like some of his turnovers uh, are just him trying to like, he's still not sure, hey, how crazy of a pass can I actually get away with? And sometimes I feel like he's just testing the limits, you know, on like, usually on like those cross court baseball passes. Exactly. Yeah. Those are the ones you usually see him just throw it over the guy's head. Um, yeah, I mean, we can spend the whole we can spend the whole podcast just talking about Jokic and, and how good of a passer he is, right? But Adam, uh, Adam's not here. We don't have to do that. exactly. <laughs> uh, we, we we do love Mr. Barnes. Um, another person uh, who made his return, and I know Ashley, you're a big fan, was was Danilo Gallinari. And I thought uh, the game against the Pacers when he comes back is there a more peak Danilo Gallinari stat line than 21 points? Two of twelve shooting, but seventeen of eighteen on the free throws. What, um, Ashley? What did you think of, of like when, with him being back? Uh, were you impressed? Did he look a little rusty? I think uh, and Scott Hastings made a comment about this too. When Gallinari comes back from an injury, it takes him a minute to get his legs under him at the three point yep. line. Yep. But he does need to be taking those shots in order to get back to where he needs to be. But I think he understood. The, the cool thing about that game and what I was impressed about was he understood that the shot wasn't falling from the three-point line, but he knew that he had a job of getting to the rim. And so I think that's one of the, the best things he does for the Nuggets is take it to the rim, draw fouls, and, and make those free-throw shots. And so, yeah, he was terrible anywhere else with the free-throw <laughs> line, but, you know, you gotta love you got to love that, uh, that free-throw shot. It was very, very similar to what we saw a lot of Gallo last season when he was relied on so much for scoring, right? It was, he he didn't take uh, as many jump shots as much as it was about a focus of getting through him. And let's be honest, with Gallo getting to the free throw line, that's, that's usually what he's trying to do anytime he drives to the, drives to the hoop. Um, but you're right, and it's a very good point, and I hadn't even really thought about that. It's, he's always classically struggled coming off an injury to get like get back up to speed and get his shooting legs under him. Um, and so maybe it's just good, good learning on him, because he still scored 21 points, right? I mean, that's effective an effective game for him. Um, now that he's back, it looks kind of like Dan, it looks like so Wancho's probably out of the rotation. I don't think he played in that Pacers game. Um, do you do you like kind of like the nine-man? So you got your five starters, which are Chandler, Gallo, Jokic, Harris, and Jameer. And then basically you got the four guys on the bench, Barton, Murray, uh, Fareed, Plumley. Do you like that, that rotation? Is that like a rotation you go in with uh, in the playoffs and you feel comfortable with? I think those nine players are who you go with. I think... You may ha- adjust the starting rotation a little bit, whether you're, you want to go small with Wilson Chandler at the four or you want to play Kenneth Freed at the four. But I think that's a, a pretty good rotation. You get a lot you know, a lot of veterans that aren't going to make right. a lot of mistakes. Exactly. Um, but also giving some younger guys some minutes with Nikola Jokic, Gary yeah. Harris, Jamal Murray. Go, well, go with the younger guys that you know Coach can trust, right? I mean, yeah. I think Harris a lot of people Jokic. forget that Jokic... This is his second season. Yeah, exactly. He's still a young guy. He's, still he's getting young. a lot of minutes. But he's also, I mean, he's just producing at this point. He's Like him and Harris especially, they're producing at a point where it's almost like they're young guys, but their play is like that of veteran. I mean, Gary Harris has scored double figures, what, like five, six games in a row right now. Yeah, he's, he's on a good streak. He's playing really well. And even, even Jamal, the thing I think about like in the playoffs, if there's one guy who might end up not getting as much time in the rotation, I think it's probably Jamal, just because he's a rookie. And you say, I think they'll go with him, but like you know, at some point they're going to make an adjustment. Maybe that's the first adjustment they do is take him out. And yeah, they go a little tighter. 
that game against Cleveland, I think, would be more indicative of the kind of rotation minutes yeah. that Jamal's going to get, where he may not play at all in the third quarter. You know, he'll play a minute or two at the end of the third quarter, and then the first three, four minutes of the fourth quarter. Right. But you're going to see a lot more um, Jameer Nelson in the playoffs. I, I really, I really wish they would give Jamal more more time in the playoffs because yeah. I feel like that's. Like, all right, we we are pretty sure that the Nuggets aren't going to beat the Warriors in, in the first round, right? But, so what's what is that first round for? It is to get the rookies ready for a playoff appearance again, and so I just think that it's super important that they get as many minutes as they can. I think the only guy though that you could do that to, only veteran, you could take out in exchange for a rookie in playoffs, something they've worked for the whole season and put in all the time, would be Gallo, and you could because if you were the understanding, hey, we're not going to resign. Because I think if you bench any other veteran, oh. Chandler or Jameer, in the playoffs, like you still I got him on the team next season, and you got to deal with that. Those guys, I because I, I thought I was thinking about this before the podcast too, and I, I was totally like, I was like, yeah, let's get the young guys some experience in this match playoffs. And I was like, but wait, no, the veterans, a they got you there, and and b they're not here to get rookies ready for next year, right? They're here to play, and to, they want They they certainly, I'm sure, believe they can beat the Warriors. So I can I can only imagine how how upset somebody like Jameer would be. If you took him out and said, Jameer, you know, we're going to go with uh, Jamal Murray and Emmanuel Moutier. Cause we're, we're down, no, we're about we're, Moutier, we're no. down 3-0. Wait, okay, <laughs> just, maybe. We're just not going to play you, man. Yeah, right? Like, it's just like, it's we're over. throwing this But maybe not, here. okay, all right. You give Jameer time, of course, but maybe not over 30 minutes. Like, maybe, maybe you give Jamal a little more time. You may, know, and like, maybe that's it, yeah, because I don't think you can add, balance. I mean, a nine-man rotation is about as long as you could go on a, on a playoff rotation. Yeah. Even then, most teams go with, like, eight. Eight, yeah. Um, but uh, maybe so maybe that maybe yeah you get a little more balance between the two. I think coach will coach like he always does. He'll play it by ear. Uh, we gotta remember too. This will be first time coach is gonna be if they make it. This yeah. is his first time in the playoffs as so a head coach. As a head coach, yeah. right? So it'll be interesting to see. I think he needs to learn how to close games too. Right. To be fair, yeah. I mean that the the, the play that he had Plumley taking the last right. final alley oop shot. That's a where did that come it's from? We've never done that before. Like, we're trying to win the game. Let's do something we've never tried and see if it works. Like, that's... And he said after the game that that was the, that was the play that call. Was the they was wanted. To try to yeah. get, that that's was the look they wanted. wanted. Yeah. I think that's a lie. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's hindsight. Him just covering for his players. That, you that always got to... Uh, <laughs> with Coach, you always got to uh, take everything he says to the media with a grain of salt. He's, he's definitely uh, trolled us a little bit before. Um, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll go ahead and take a break, and then we'll... we'll, we'll uh, We'll do, do a little pivot. We'll start looking kind of at the playoffs. Um, and, uh, you know, Nuggets are right down in the home stretch. So we'll be right back. We've all been there. When the budget's the tightest or a time is the shortest, that's when disaster strikes. The last thing anyone wants to deal with in these times is an electrical issue in their home or business. Maybe your light suddenly won't turn on. Or maybe a home inspector wants that electrical service changed before you can close out on a property you're selling. Heck, Maybe it's not even an emergency at all and you're just looking to finish out your basement or get some power ran to that new AC unit. Whatever your need may be, give Sun Electrical a call. They're a family-owned and operated business that serves the front range and you can be assured that you'll not only get the highest quality service, but you'll also get the most affordable price as well. Mike, the owner of Sun Electrical, will come to your home or business personally to evaluate your situation and provide a free estimate. And he stands by the work Sun performs as a fully licensed and insured electrical contractor. So give him a call, 719-659-6888. 
Don't be fooled by the phone number as they'll serve the entire front range from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins and everywhere in between. That's 719-659-6888. 719-659-6888. Sun Electrical, the home of truly affordable electrical work. All right, everybody, what's up? Uh, welcome back to the Pickaxe Podcast. Zach Mikosh I'm here with Dan Lewis and Ashley Douglas. Down at Jake's Sports and Spirits on 38 Walnut, we're recording live. Um, let's get back into the uh, into the the show here. Dan's being a little uh, <laughs> distracting there, but um, so but I want to talk about the Portland Trailblazers because they are the uh, and we will say the N word, aka Nurkic. Damn it! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> um, <Call down>. uh, <laughs> Yeah, Nurkic is a very polarizing subject these days over at Denver Stiffs. Um, let's start with this. Ashley, I'll ask you first, how worried are you? I mean, the Blazers are only like, what, a game, a game and a half back? Um, how worried are you about the Blazers catching this? I'm pretty worried, only because, like, I kind of have a chip on my shoulder about the Portland Trail Blazers, only because of our, our, our the way we played them this season. I just feel like we, we should have beat them by more than we did the, the couple times we played them, and... Um, I'm not a fan of Yusuf Nurkic, and so I would love to get him beat, you know, and, yep. and get the Nuggets into the playoffs. So I, I'm concerned. I mean, I think it's going to come down to want to at this point. That's the, the final. Yeah, I think so because, you know, it was um, up until this point, it was always one of the big things to look at was like, well, Portland's got a way easier schedule. Now that the Nuggets got the wins against Cleveland and uh, Indiana, it's and so they helped serve, right? They didn't let Portland gain any ground on them. Uh, pretty even as far as Nuggets have more road games. Um, they actually play fewer teams now with uh, a record above 500. So pretty, um, pretty even as far as schedule wise. I would, I would definitely have some concerns, Dan. Uh, I'll ask you too about about the playoff game or not. Basically, won't like like a playoff game. This 28th game on March 28th. Um, is it a must win as far as the? As, as far as must-wins are concerned right now with the Blazers. I'll go, I'll go radio, Dan, on you. I right. think it is absolutely a must-win. And if the Nuggets lose, I do not think that they will make the playoffs. So it's down to just that one game, right? Well, or at well, least... I think this, that they really need that tiebreaker because, yeah. well, the, the Trailblazers already have a better divisional record than the Nuggets do. Right. And so they need to just have it tied up there and... They need that win so that there's still a space between the two teams. The Trailblazers play the Timberwolves up a couple like more times. times yeah. Well, you know, like where we play the Pelicans a couple more times. Right, right. But the Pelicans are a better team than the Timberwolves are right yeah, now. Absolutely. And so the Trailblazers have a, an easier path to getting to the playoffs just based right. off of the the teams that they play in their schedule. So if the Nuggets if the Nuggets don't beat the Trailblazers, I would be very surprised if they make the playoffs. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would agree. I think it's. I mean, it's. It's there in the realm of possibility, but it's a lot tougher. Then you're looking at. Okay, now we got to go pick up maybe both of those games against the Thunder, or um, we got to pick up both the games, the road games out east against Charlotte and against Miami. Whereas if you can get that game against Portland, you can probably afford to drop one, maybe even two of those games, um, and still be okay. Ashley, you had mentioned uh, you you want to beat Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, and I would agree. I think just because, um, yeah, just because you know, obviously Nurkic, he's playing really well for Portland right now. Uh, 
but he, he didn't play well for the Nuggets, and then they ended up having to deal him. So a little, maybe a little sour grapes there. Um, how much are you looking forward, though, to that battle of Jokic versus Nurkic in the post? I'm really excited for it, and I think the interesting thing about Nurkic is he's, an, he's a very emotional player, what I would consider an immature player, right. and I think Jokic is a very steady, calculating player. And I think it's going to be interesting to kind of use, because Nurkic could come out and just totally explode on that emotion, right. but at the same time, I'm interested to see how Jokic kind of uses that against him, possibly, to outsmart him and, and get that Yeah, that's a win. good point. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, do you, there was a game the Nuggets played against the Clippers about yeah. a month or two ago, and Nikola Jokic, normally he's just very calculated, but like he took it to DeAndre Jordan yeah. that game. And he was extremely emotional. Yeah, that's just true. Just like you know, yelling after baskets and you know, clapping his hands. He was like really motivated. And so, especially with the game being in Portland, I think Nurkic is going to be able to come out and... Like, Nurkic could win or lose the game for Portland with how he starts the game. Because yes. if he gets in a couple fouls and gets pissed at Jokic yep. and then, like, just, you know, gets, like, a flagrant one or something and gets sent to the bench, like, that could ruin it for the Trailblazers because it's all his other teammates, you know, they're going to get all hyped up and they might get the crowd out of it if Jokic is able to have a really big at, first quarter. At the same time, though, what we've always seen in the past, especially you saw a lot in Nurkic's rookie year, is like when he has these games to get up for, he like shows he up. Usually, yeah, usually he delivers, right? And he plays, I remember that rookie game, his rookie year against Mark Gasol, and he I mean, he absolutely won that matchup. So. Like five blocks. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think I think I would I'd definitely be concerned if I'm the Nuggets about his play because he, he could certainly uh, have his best game of his career. It wouldn't surprise me at all, even though he's had a couple monster games already over there in Portland. Um, but like you know, like let's say the, the game opens up, you know, first couple of possessions, Jimmy gets a screen and drives to the rim, and Nurkic just swats him out of bounds. Like right. that's like game over right there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Or or he gets he gets the ball in the post and he backs down Jokic. I mean that knocks him down exactly. Scores on him. Scores him because I hands him the ball. You, I guarantee you. <laughs> what was that Markeith Morris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guarantee you. Um, if Nurkic and Jokic continue to develop the way they're looking right now, there will be no bigger rivalry between two players in at least the Northwest Division, and it'll be one of the biggest rivalries in the NBA because of the history now that these two players have, because they both are, can be emotional guys and get up for it, because one's Bosnian and one's a Serbian. I mean, it's... This is... Yeah. I'm, so I think, I'm excited. I think with Jokic, too, like, I think Jokic was trying to be so helpful for right. Nurkic beginning of the season is like you know what i'll play power forward yeah, i'll, I'll be out of the perimeter the chasing these guys and then it's like you know what this isn't working you start i'll come off the bench right like we need to we Jokic valued nurkic's contributions to the team enough that he was like you know what i'm going to come off the bench so that you can get your minutes yeah and you can have that role as a starter that's why and he then deserves he's like, his he's position like, and then you still i did all these things for you and you still just turned around and yeah. like out of spite didn't help us and acted like a baby Could and be. like i think he's gonna Really, I think Jokic will be really be motivated, just just as much as Nurkic is to have the game against former teammate. I agree. Um, so let's say they get the win. Since, since Dan, you say it's a must win, um, and then they and they make it into the playoffs. Let's, let's go with that hypothetical because it's more it makes for a more interesting podcast than saying, "Hey, what are you guys thinking?" The Nuggets totally bombing down the stretch. Right? <laughs> um, uh, actually, I guess I ask you first. So it's either going to be the Spurs or the Warriors in that that first round. Do you have a preference? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe uh, 
That's going to be tough. I, I would, either team, I think they're going to learn a lot. But I think if you're going up against the Spurs in the playoffs, Coach Popovich has an ability to win. Right. And I think the Nuggets would do really well to learn that. I think Coach Malone would do really well to learn that. Um, so I think both would be great, but I'm going to say I would love to see them play, play the Spurs. That fundamental. Dan? That's going to be my answer as well, is to see the Spurs. Uh, he's, Greg Popovich is just, you know, he's the standard for excellence at the head coach position. And I don't think there's any better person for Michael Malone to go against in the playoffs than Greg Popovich. And I think also if you watch the Spurs, they're they're just so disciplined in everything they do on offense and defense. And if I was going to see a pattern for the Nuggets to be a successful team in the future, I think they're better served trying to pattern themselves as a more disciplined. We're going to take every possession seriously like the Spurs. So the Warriors, who kind of have a more free-flowing fun. Right. We're just going to – we can shoot 15 threes in a row. Right, because like we catch have fire. three best five shooters like in that, the entire That's not game. a right. pattern the Nuggets right. can follow. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get stuff Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Kevin Durant in free agency. But they can follow up. Hey, we're going to develop guys at home like San Antonio. Look at how well these guys know their system. They know exactly where they're supposed to be. They know their roles. They know just exactly what they're supposed to do on every possession. And that's how they're going to – we're going to out-execute you. And just be the better team. Yeah. And I think if the Nuggets go against that and they're like, wow, this is what we have to get to in order for us to be successful. I, I don't think it's as, I don't think they'll have that same opportunity if they play the Warriors. Yeah, I uh, I hear what both of you are saying. I think you're both just wanting to watch some really boring basketball for, <laughs> for about five games. I, I will be, I'm going to be on the exact opposite side. I'd rather have the Warriors simply for the entertainment value. Yeah. Um, I, I just think, you know, man, the Spurs, because they are, they have such a good system, they're so methodical. It's just like, I, I'd rather not watch the, the Nuggets just probably, probably in my opinion, if it's the Spurs against four, in four games, watch them just get systematically defeated. You don't want to watch LaMarcus Aldridge just drop an 18 exactly, footers. So. Exactly, exactly. And Kawhi Leonard just causing turnover after turnover. Um, like televised Nuggets training camp. Exactly. Know? That'll be great. Exactly. So I'd rather, I'd rather, uh, Watch them go lose 134 to 127 to like the Warriors and, and go shot for shot with them. Um, and I think the Nuggets have a better chance of winning a game against that. And yeah. I'll ask you. I'll ask you guys both this because you think about it like it's either way to be a super long shot, right? For them to even. And everybody's only talking about hey, maybe we can get one, two games. Do you guys think? Dan, I'll ask you first. Is there any circa 1994 eight seed over one seed upset brewing here? Oh. Man, I would really like to see them do that against the Warriors. Right. Because right. the Warriors are just these, like, whiny villains. Yeah. Who yes, yes. know they're better than everybody, but still complain and just whine. They're so immature about things. But uh, I I don't think that there's any chance yeah. <laughs> that they could do that. I'd be happy with one or two games. If they win two games in Denver, that'd be sweet. You know, 2-2 two, two, right. going into game five, right. that'd be awesome. But uh, that that's about... My like peak expectations for the Nuggets in a one-eight matchup. Gotcha. What about you, Ashley? Uh, you know, I always err on the side of optimism. That's just maybe my downfall. But I really think that because Kevin Durant's going to be coming back from injury, he's probably going to be a little shaky. Um, take him a minute to get his feet under him. I think they could win three potentially. I mean, if if they come out the way they came out against Cleveland and Golden State previously, they know they can beat them, which is really cool now that they have that. These guys aren't unbeatable. But I think there is a small chance that they could. 
it's it's possible. I don't know. We'll see if they can remain consistent. That's been their problem, but yeah, no, I um, I agree with you, and I think certainly if you're gonna look at the two teams, either the Spurs or the Warriors, I don't think there's any way the Spurs they, they can come up with a way they actually end up winning the series. Right? They'll just get like like you said, they they just systematically will get defeated. Um, the Warriors, though. It's not to me outside of the realm of possibility because the Warriors are going to want to go shot for shot with them. They're going to want to play that, that high-paced offensive game. And the Nuggets have enough guys. Like, what if one game Will Barton goes off and then the next game Jamal Murray goes off and then it's Gallo or Chandler and then obviously you got Jokic being a constant the whole way through. I could see a way for them to do it. The thing that's the hardest to see about them doing it against the Warriors versus something like when they beat the Sonics or even the, trying to beat the Spurs team is Oracle Arena is an incredible atmosphere and one of the toughest, especially in the playoffs, right? I mean, it's, it's got to be one of the hardest places um, to win in all of sports, not even just the NBA. That, to me, is like is kind of the, the, the trump card that makes me think, yeah, there's probably no, real no way that they could handle this because I can't ever see... Game because, 7 in Right, the, they would have State. to at least probably, yeah. they have to at least win one game in Golden State. That's, it's really hard to see anyway doing that. Um... So I guess if they, if they, we all we both think that's probably not going to happen. All three of us think that's probably not going to happen. Do you guys think next season they they're a team that will have have improved enough, and are they going to improve enough on their stock to where next season we're talking? A, we're not worried, wondering. Hey, are they going to make it in the playoffs? But B, do you think they're? I mean, how many seasons? I guess Dan last. How many seasons away are they from actually being where it's like, yeah, they can actually win a playoff series? Could you just me? Or yeah. You? We, okay. Well, I think. Next season, I mean, we've been counting out the Memphis Grizzlies, it seems like, for every year for the last couple of seasons. But I think next season, you know, who knows how Chandler Parsons is next season for them. Marcus Allby, another year older. Zach Randolph and Tony Allen, their their game's just going to continue to decline. And they don't have their draft pick this season. So I don't know how much better the Grizzlies are going to be next season. We'll see about teams like the Thunder, you know, who they're always just, you know, if one, one player gets, if one Westbrook, run, one Russell Westbrook injury away from <laughs> just being a, you know, bottom, top, bottom five team in the league. So, you know, I think the Nuggets could try to be like a seven or six seed. Yeah. But, I, you know, I don't, I don't see them making like a, a Utah jump. Like gotcha. The Jazz this season. Ashley, what about you? Um, I think it's definitely they're definitely going to make the playoffs, and I think we expect that now because yeah. they're coming out of their rebuilding phase a little bit, and they should be making the playoffs. I, I agree, though. I think a seven or a six is fine, but who knows? I think if they get if they get a player in the off season that can come up and turn up the heat on defense, yeah. that'll really make a game changer for them. I think. Yeah, no, I um, I totally agree with both of you on that. I think I think that's the next progression you make is you go to like a seven, a six, maybe even a five. One team I would say who, who could easily fall off would be the Clippers, um, because who knows what Chris Paul's going to do long term. Blake Griffin's um, a free agent. Blake Griffin, right? Exactly. So they've got um, there's and they haven't had any, the core of Griffin, Paul, and Jordan is not. I think JJ Redick is a free agent as well. Exactly. So see, there's there's quite a few players I think who could uh, who could possibly drop off that team and. Uh, then make them another another potential team. But you guys are right. There's got to be somebody who's got to drop down for us to move up. And then you also got to think about teams like New Orleans, Minnesota, uh, Portland, of course. There's a lot of teams who are going to be who have been kind of competing for this eight seed who don't project to go anywhere over the long term. Being they project to get better, um, so it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. 
All right, well, I'll tell you what, guys. I think we'll go ahead and uh, we'll call it a wrap right there. Um, try and keep these pickaxes a little bit a little bit shorter for you guys. Uh, make sure to check us out, denverstiffs.com. We are, uh, we're all on Twitter. Dan, you are at MinuteManDan. Ashley is at AshleyNBAHoops. And I am at Zach Mikosh. Uh, also check us out on Instagram, at the Denver Stiffs. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Pickaxe Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Gotta get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.